Welcome into Tales Never Fails. My name is Steve Kramer. Appreciate you checking out the show. On today's show, we're wrapping up the AFC East as we go through our team-by-team, division-by-division season previews. If you missed any of the other three teams, the Bills, the Jets, or the Patriots, be sure to check those out. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter at TNF underscore podcast. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Parker Early Parks. How you doing, bud? I'm good, yeah. Dreaming about uh, Miami, so uh, nice place to live. We'll see if it's a nice place to catch a football game this year. <laughs> yeah, Parks, the Dolphins ended up firing Adam Gase, who ends up with the Jets after that 42-17 to beat down by the Bills in the season finale. They ended up signing Brian Flores from the Patriots, who he's worked with the Pats in some capacity since 2004. Only has one year of coordinating experience, but he is one of those up-and-coming coaches. They ended up hiring... Patriots wide receivers coach Chad O'Shea as offensive coordinator. He has never called plays, but he coached New England's wideouts for 10 years. Um, and they do bring in, which I like, uh, Jim Caldwell as an assistant head coach, QB's coach, to give some experience to that staff and kind of help those guys mature a little bit faster. Parks, they ended up getting Josh Rosen from the Arizona Cardinals, bring in Ryan Fitzpatrick. Tannehill is gone. Um, how do you feel about this quarterback room going into 2019 season? I guess we'll start with, the, like you said, the coaching changes in that, um, you know, a lot of people say that with the Bill Belichick uh, coaching tree isn't that great. And yeah, I absolutely agree with that. But you always got to uh, look at it, you know, as an individual case, look at it, you know, on its head. And um, you kind of also have to admit that, you know, it's not like I have any inside information or I've ever worked with these people and know, you know, there's only so much you can get out of their press conferences. And that's really, you know, you just read some stuff and you listen to their press conferences and you try and understand who they are. But I'm definitely more optimistic on him as a head coach than Matt Patricia. Or like I said, it's just based on, you know, what I've read and what I know in uh, press conferences. But nonetheless, it's it just seems like he has um, – he has his head on more straight. And the, my biggest issue with Patricia was always that it always seemed like he's trying to be something that he's not. He's always trying to be like Belichick, like when he's not, that's not him. Um, whereas I think Flores, kind of like he is himself and he knows who he is. And then I think you look at the past two years when um, Matt Patricia left, um, you know, it was, it was after the Eagles put up what, like 50 points on his defense. When Flores leaves, it's after he holds the Rams to, you know, uh, touchdown list. So, um, that's just like a small little thing, but I do, I do really think that, uh, the defense improved. I thought they improved schematically, um, you know, much more than they even improved, uh, personnel wise. So I think that has to do with Flores. And I think that, um, yeah, it, we'll see it obviously be, um, a while until we really know. And I think that's the other thing before we get into the quarterbacks that you got to touch on is that, um, there's maybe they are tanking, maybe they're not tanking, you know, maybe tanking is not necessarily the word. Um, whatever the word is, the front office is coming in with patience because they don't expect this team to win next season. So is that tanking? I mean, maybe. And, you know, um, I think a lot of people mix tanking in with, um, not trying the front office is tanking in the fact that, um, they're not putting, you know, they're not putting the best roster together. The players are going to try and the coaches are going to coach to win every single week. That's like, there's a difference, you know, <laughs> but um, they're going to try their hardest and they're in a really bad, you know, they got dealt a terrible hand. They're going to play the hand as hard as they freaking can, but they're not going to win because they have bad odds. You know, that's, that's what tanking is. It's not that the players are going out, they're not giving a crap and the coaches are sleeping through offices and everything like that. They want to build up a culture. This is their first year at this thing. So um, they're going to tank, but they're going to try. If you, if you kind of get what I'm saying and, and, uh, that sort of philosophy. And that's where, like you said, you look into some of these coaches, um, guy like O'Shea or a guy like Caldwell, and you say, if you give that time, that can work. And okay, they're going to give it time. Let's see if it's going to work. Um, it's not going to work this season, but that brings us right into the quarterback position because I have a firm stance on this. Um, and I just think it would be crazy. Uh, everyone's going to talk about Ryan Fitzpatrick and everyone thinks that Ryan Fitzpatrick's going to start. Um, that could be true. And if that's true, um, in my opinion, that's really bad for Josh Rosen. And I know, um, you know, the talk through mini camps and OTAs is that Fitzpatrick knows the playbook so much more than Rosen. Fitzpatrick's handling himself so much better than Rosen. 
It's like, yeah, that's not surprising. You know, the veteran knows who, you know, has studied multiple playbooks, knows multiple playbooks. The rookie who just got thrown his first NFL playbook last year, only to get it taken back, thrown another NFL playbook from Byron Leftwich, and then taken back, and now thrown his third NFL playbook in just a year and a half or so. Um, yeah, that player might be having a hard time picking up his, you know, third playbook in uh, 90 uh, or however many months, you know. So, yeah, he's struggling with that. Um, but, I still think, and you know, this is where it's going to come down to. He needs to show up to camp prepared because he was what a top ten pick. Um, there's a chance that Miami goes one in fifteen this season. Josh Rosen is bad, gets traded again, or um, what would be worse than him getting traded for the third time? It actually could get worse than him getting traded. He could be the backup to the number one overall pick, and now he can't say anything about it because he's gotten two two chances, um, and nobody's going to be in his corner anymore. So um, he's in a situation where he needs to be prepared for this and he needs to know this playbook because if he doesn't, that's a, that's a really quick drop off for, you know, a former top 10 NFL pick um, Reality would start coming at this kid really, really fast all of a sudden. So um, we're going to see, um, especially because a lot of his questions have come down to um, things like maturity, things like questioning coaches. Um, it's got to be yes, sir. No, sir. I know the playbook and everything like that for Rosen, if he's going to want a chance here, but let's assume that he does that. Let's assume he understands what's at stake and he's not lollygagging it and he's putting in his best effort. He's got to start. He has to start, in my opinion. Um, week one, unless he's completely clueless and completely incompetent to the point where everybody on the roster is looking around and they would say, this O'Shea guy and this Flores guy, they're jackasses if they're going to start Rosen because he can't play and he's going to kill us. That's the only way, and, and you know those two coaches would lose the locker room because the you know the, they're um, pushing Rosen over Fitzpatrick, and everybody in practice can see Fitzpatrick knows what he's doing. Rosen's fumbling all over himself. Rosen's calling the wrong plays. Fitzpatrick's a professional. In that rare situation or that potential situation, maybe you do have to start Ryan Fitzpatrick. If it's even the slightest bit close, there's absolutely no reason to start Ryan Fitzpatrick. What are you starting Ryan Fitzpatrick to do? <laughs> what are you going to win with Ryan Fitzpatrick? Six games, seven games next year? Like, great. Good for you. You just wasted a year of a rookie quarterback on a rookie salary because you wanted to win seven games with Fitzpatrick and screw up your draft positioning. Good job, Miami. That's like, so that's where I'm going back to the idea of there's tanking and then there's like trying your hardest. If it's, if it's close between Rosen and Fitzpatrick, it's not close because one of them is cheaper and one of them is the future. And one of them, if you have patience with them, might turn into something. Like we're not betting on Ryan Fitzpatrick three years from now. There's nothing in Ryan Fitzpatrick. So um, Rosen needs as many starts as humanly possible. Um, benching him would just waste money. It's, it's just wasting money and resources unless the only way that you don't start him is unless uh, morale is so bad and everyone just thinks you look so stupid for starting Josh Rosen. And that would mean that Josh Rosen is just partying in Miami all year. And if he wants to do that and he has, you know, what, like $10 million dollars, he gets to party in Arizona for a year, gets to party in Miami for a year. If he wants to do that, that's that's his life. But um, I think he's going to show up, and I think he's going to compete for a job. And I just don't – I can't see Ryan Fitzpatrick starting. So um, that's where I have no confidence in uh, – I wouldn't draft either of these guys in fantasy football. I'm not interested in that because Fitzpatrick – and everyone keeps saying, uh, oh, this receiver with Fitzpatrick and this with Fitzpatrick. And remember how funny it was with the Bucks. Like the Bucks didn't get anywhere. <laughs> now they're like they're still in a situation where they don't know what Jameis Winston is because they didn't start the younger quarterback when it was close. You have to figure out what the younger quarterback is. We all know what Fitzpatrick is. Um, if Rosen hits, if Rosen turns into a great quarterback, that's one of the best trades of all time. Like, why would you hinder the chance of making the best trade of all time? If he doesn't hit, then you draft the number one quarterback, and next year he's a backup, or next year you trade him. Like those are the only outcomes. Fitzpatrick, if he hits, then like I said, you screwed yourself out of Rosen and you screwed yourself out of draft positioning and you still got nowhere. If Fitzpatrick doesn't hit, then you just wasted all this time with Josh Rosen. Like starting Fitzpatrick leads to two negatives. Starting Rosen leads to two positives. <laughs> like we, you got to start Josh Rosen. Um, and that's that's really all I have to say about that right now because it's, the, it's a true debate. And um, if they did start Fitzpatrick, I wouldn't necessarily be shocked. I would just be extremely disappointed um one in the front office and then also i think in josh rosen because like it's a fact fitzpatrick's gonna know the playbook more even on week one fitzpatrick's gonna know the playbook more but you gotta start josh rosen so hopefully hopefully they do parson we've had we've had plenty of conversations over the last year about rosen you know mike mccoy was an absolute mess as the oc 
with the Cardinals, you know, running David Johnson right up the middle with uh, dive runs and, you know, the Bayern Leftwich and, I mean, not, you know, it was Leftwich's first opportunity at that, but the offensive line was horrible. I mean, you watch, you know, all these games every week and if it, the offensive line was just, Rosen was running for his life back there. I mean, we'll get into this offensive line. It's, it's not much better than what the Cards had last year, but yeah, I mean, I think that you got to go, especially with the value that they're getting with Rosen. You got to start him and see what you have there. But we can move on to the running backs parks with Brandon Bolden and Frank Gore on their way out. They bring in Mark Walton, Kenneth Farah. They drafted back-to-back picks at 233 and 234. Miles Gaskin and Chandler Cox, who will probably be more of a, a fullback there. But um, they also have Kenyon Drake and Kalen Balage. How do you feel about this running back group here, Parks? Hey, um. It seems like Kenyon Drake is probably going to be the guy in there. Um, what I just keep thinking is that um, a lot of people were saying, you know, oh, he's being held back by Gase or, you know, oh, Gase just doesn't like him. There are reasons why Kenyon Drake wasn't playing more. Um, and I know Matt Waldman um, talks about it a lot because he still says that, you know, Frank Gore was um, just a better runner than Kenyon Drake. And that's why Frank Gore, they would rather take Frank Gore's um, three or four yards every single down. We know we're getting three or four every single down. Whereas Kenyon Drake, you might get minus seven. You know, like sure you could probably get twenty. You might get minus seven. And they're saying, you know what? We're just going to take four. You know, we don't want to roll the dice between minus seven or twenty. We want to just take our four and move on. Um, that's what they thought. Also, pass protection was a big thing. So that's where you go to Kenyon Drake and you say, no matter who the coaching staff is, he's always going to kick runs to the outside. He's always going to look for the home run thing. That's just who he is. Like, we know this now. That's who he is. That's the type of player he is. He's not one. He doesn't necessarily take a huge beating. Um, he can, he has the speed to break it. He has the size to break enough big runs and, um, to get into space. And he can be a um, pass-catching option. The issues with him are he he doesn't um, – It's I don't even know. It's it's probably half one-two, half understanding that he's not a good pass, pass protector. Um, and that does – as much as you hate to hear it, coaches are going to take him off the field because they don't trust that he can do everything they want him to do on offense. So um, that's where he's, a, he's an interesting situation. I haven't necessarily um, drafted him yet. I know there he's in like a tier um, or he's close around. I would take Derrick Henry and uh, um, like Derrick Henry and carry on Johnson. I would take ahead of him, but then like it gets to a spot where after that you might want to look into Ken Drake because he's going to break big runs and he's going to catch the football and um, especially if you can get Fitzpat or uh, Rosen in there, because um, Rosen's going to check the ball down a lot. <laughs> you know, he's got a bad offensive line. He's going to want to get the ball out of his hands, and he's going to check the ball down to Kenyon Drake a ton. And that's where Kenyon Drake's valuable. Um, I keep looking towards Ballage because, um, in my opinion, Ballage is better, and I think he's just more decisive between the tackles. Um, you could question some of it is he kind of just lowers his head and runs, and that's where like I'm not a big big Ballage fan. I think he's highly athletic. I think he's huge and that he's like 220 pounds and can run really fast and catch the football. So um, that's where he has potential. Um, like I said, I think a little more power than Drake, but he also is almost equally as boom bust as Kenyon Drake. So that's where it becomes, in my opinion, it's tough to get Kenyon Drake off of the field. And that's where you have a team that's potentially losing a lot with a quarterback that wants to check down to his running back a lot. That's where Kenyon Drake becomes um, valuable in fantasy. And that's where, like I said, I don't think they would walk away from this season. And even if Kenyon Drake had a bunch of stats, I could see them saying moving forward, we need another compliment to Drake. We need a power guy. And then Drake can be that, um, you know, big time hitter, catch passer, everything like that. But um, those are my concerns with Drake. And that's why I would take a guy like carry on Johnson over a guy like Drake. Um, Moving on to the other guys, I mean, Miles Gaskin, I guess, has a chance to compete for uh, some third down back rolls, and he is um, a really good pass protector, um, was excellent at Washington in the pass protection game, but he's also um, was undersized, was slow, didn't really make guys miss in space. I wasn't a big fan. I was, I'm was i a bigger fan of Mark Walton, but um, it seems like Mark Walton has um, too many personal issues, and I don't like the fact that... Um, he kept getting arrested for the Bengals and then he goes to Miami and he went to Miami in college. Um, I know, I don't know. It's kind of just, 
I don't like the fact that he's um, in Miami in this like party city and the fact that he's always getting into trouble late at night and the fact that that's like his old hometown and he's back with his old boys. So that's, I, I just, I don't see any faith in uh, Mark Walton. Um, and I, I think Kenneth Farrow actually has a chance because um, he's a little bit more reliable than any of the other guys to be the third down guy. But nonetheless, I mean, you go through all these guys and that's where you say, okay, I don't love Kenyon Drake, but Kenyon Drake's going to be the man in this backfield. Um, is it going to be an intriguing backfield, a juicy backfield? Um, potentially not, you know, but he's also, like I said, he's going to catch enough passes and he's going to be on the field enough to where, um, all of a sudden he is, um, a fantasy option. Parks and moving on to the wide receivers here, they released Danny Amendola, um, surprise, at least to me, re-signing of Devontae Parker. They gave him a two-year contract with a max value of $13 million. Uh, they ended up signing Preston Williams, who could be a nice little steal there if he can get his head on straight. Ricardo Lewis they bring in. Still have Kenny Stills, Albert Wilson, Bryce Butler, Jakeem Grant, and Isaiah Ford. How do you feel about this group here? I um, start with, like you said, um, they're already talking about Devontae Parker in minicamp and OTAs and everything. And I mean, they talk about it every single year with him in OTAs and minicamp. And oh, this is the year he's putting it together. And like you said, oh, they just gave him a contract. They're believing in him. No, they gave him that contract because he was a former first round pick and had absolutely nobody want to sign him. <laughs> so, I mean, and you, and you look at their wide receiver group and you say, you know, they need somebody. So um, nobody wants him. Um, nobody wants to go to Miami. So they kind of just had a little, um, you know, marriage together where, like we said, there's almost no risk in the fact that it's the same thing as Josh Rosen. Like you've got to start this guy because like, what's it matter? What does it freaking matter? Why are we starting Ryan Fitzpatrick if we're going to start Devonte Parker? <laughs> like, you know, like what's it matter then? So um, we're going to start Devonte Parker. I, I would not bet on it. Um, I just don't think he he has his head on straight. Um, I've you know I was a fan of his coming out of college and could definitely admit that I'm wrong about this one. But I think it's less about um, on the field. I think it's more about just he just doesn't seem to have the desire. So we'll see that now. That like I said, maybe he you know calls all these other teams and he's like, yeah, it's Gase's fault. It's Gase's fault. And they're like, no, buddy, it's your fault. Um, maybe that was the wake up call that he needed. Um, I would rather just sit this one out and potentially you know look into him midway through the season than uh, even invest into it. I think the guy in Miami is going to be Albert Wilson. Um, and this goes back to, um, I think it kind of could diverge one of two ways. I think the Josh Rosen plan would be Albert Wilson because um, like I keep saying, I think that when you picture Rosen with this bad offensive line in Miami, at least you're not setting him up to die like they did in Arizona, but in Miami, they're still going to want to get the ball out of his hands quick and he's going to want to get the ball out of his hands quick. So um, Drake comes into mind there, but also Albert Wilson, who I believe, um, he was second the past two years to Golden Tate in uh, yards after the catch per reception. So um, I know he got hurt last season. He's coming back this year. Um, and I also think in Kansas City, he was a really elite player after the catch. So um, he's just a guy that you could get the ball in his hands on screens. If he has those two blockers in front of him, um, he could really turn it upfield and start to um, you know weave in and out of players and maneuver up the field and everything like that. So um Albert Wilson, it's really late in fantasy when you can get him, but um, he's he's actually the one, he's the best value of them all because there's a serious, a very serious chance that he leads the roster in targets if he's healthy. Um, I would actually bet that he leads the roster in targets if he stays healthy. Um, the question is, if he gets more targets than Kenny Stills, will he still have more yards than Kenny Stills? Because um, like I said, his targets will be right around the line of scrimmage. Within five yards of the line of scrimmage, Albert Wilson. Kenny Stills will be 20 yards down the field. So Albert Wilson might have more targets and receptions averaging eight yards a pop, whereas Stills is averaging like 14, 15 yards a pop with less receptions. So they're actually going to be closer in yards, but um, Wilson's much cheaper in fantasy. And that's where he's a better um, option, in my opinion, in fantasy, because I think the targets are going to be there as long as he can stay healthy. But um, Stills, and that's where, like I said, I think it's a divergent in that if Fitzpatrick's out there, um, that's where I would actually kind of um, – move over to stills a little bit over Wilson thinking that this is the gunslinger. This is the guy that, you know, wanted to hit players deep every single time um, in Tampa Bay last season, you know, just throwing it up for grabs. Um, if he was throwing it up for grabs deep on this team, it would be Kenny stills. So um, I'm betting on Rosen and that's why I'm betting on Drake to have enough catches to be um, relevant. And I'm betting on uh, Albert Wilson to be the leading uh, player in targets. 
So that's really where I'm standing on them in there in that regard. Um, Bryce Butler is a Z player in the fact that um, he's a high end athlete who can get deep and stretch the field. So if Kenny Stills got hurt, it would probably be Bryce Butler stepping in. Preston Williams is the player that um, would replace Devonte Parker, and he's Devonte Parker insurance. Um, just another one where uh, he has very very serious off the field issues. Um, I forget where he went now. I want to say it was Florida at first, and he got kicked out of there, or Tennessee maybe. And he got kicked out of there and went to Colorado State. And uh, he even had some issues after he got kicked out and went to Colorado State. Um, and then he had a really poor uh, pre-draft uh, everything. And his pro day was a nightmare. Yeah. I mean, I think everything was has been a nightmare for him. So, I mean, <laughs> when he gets on the field, he's extremely talented. Everything else is just, is just really bad. So, um, that's where it's really tough with him. And uh, like I said, especially when you – send him to Miami and I mean, you know, you don't want to make assumptions, but um, I've placed bets on teams saying that they're going to Miami. They're going to party for the weekend. You know, that's helped me place bets. So, I mean, I'm going to talk about it with guys like Devonte Parker and with guys like Josh Rosen and with guys like Preston Williams. Um, you have to talk about it. And like I said, guys like Mark Walton, you have to at least say that um, they're not in like, you know, Minneapolis, Minnesota, where they could probably just, you know, they're snowed in for the weekend. Um, you know, they're not necessarily going to be snowed in for the weekend. That's where um, Preston Williams versus Devontae Parker is going to be absolutely fascinating because whoever wants it more is going to get it. I just don't know which one of these two wants it more. That's why I would fade both of them and go to Albert Wilson because he's just a guarantee, in my opinion, to get more targets. Um, Jakeem Grant would be pretty much the Albert Wilson backup. Um, he's a kick returner. He's like um, like a super poor man's Tyreek Hill with like small size and everything like that. Um, Isaiah Ford another deep threat player who could potentially step in for stills. But like I keep saying, I think, I think Albert Wilson's the real guy, unless you start here and it starts getting serious about Fitzpatrick, then you might want to look into Kenny stills, but I still, I would rather just pass on everybody um, altogether. But I do, I do think like in the, like the 17th round, Albert Wilson's not bad. Barks, and we can look at the, uh, the tight ends here. They ended up signing Dwayne Allen, two year, $7 million contract. Uh, Mike Kosicki is reporting that he's like, I think it was 16 pounds heavier, which is still probably playing pretty light. At, I think it's 240. We've got Nick O'Leary, Durham Smythe, and Cleve Watford, uh, Walford Parks. How do you feel about this group? It's not very impressive on paper, but um, yeah, they're probably going to be looking to move the ball in other directions anyways. And actually over the past few weeks, I've started to think um, – especially like real late in fantasy. Mike Kosicki has some fantasy value, I think. If you can get um, a guy like Vance McDonald or something in like the seventh round where like he's just a reliable, steady tight end and you can feel comfortable about that and then you want to swing back and just like wait real late and get Kosicki as your second guy, I think the upside of him actually does um, – I've done that in a few leagues actually so far in these best ball leagues, um, especially the best ball because you love that you have the floor of a guy like Vance McDonald and then you can just take any time Gasicki goes over that floor, you get those points because you don't set your lineup. But um, nonetheless, there's a potential for a breakout year where, like you said, um, and this is the reason why Gasicki in fantasy you have to look into is um, he's not, he's like not even a tight end barely. You know, um, he can barely block. Um, I've I've never really seen him be too strong of a blocker, um, honestly. So um, like you said, yeah, he put on that muscle, but that muscle is contested catch muscle in my opinion, because that's where he was at his best at Penn State. Um, former volleyball player who can just jump out of the gym. And um, yeah, I don't think they're going to, you start to look at some of these tight ends and you say, Dwayne Allen can really block. Like he always, he's always on a roster, you know, from the Patriots to the Colts to anywhere he goes, he always finds a way to get on the field. And he always finds a way to get $3 million because he can block. Okay, Dwayne Allen can really block. Nico Leary can kind of block. Um, he's a little bit of a move player, a little bit, but um, he can definitely block. Durham Smythe, um, he's you know, a pronounced blocker, great blocker. So they don't need a blocking tight end. What they do need is um, I don't trust Devontae Parker. Albert Wilson has injury issues. Um, is Kenyon Drake that great of an option? They need somebody on offense to throw the freaking ball to. So, I mean, you do look at Gasicki and you say, they're going to line him up over the slot. I mean, you got, especially um, – and this is one where I think that um, if Fitzpatrick's out there, Fitzpatrick wants to throw the ball deep. Who does he want to throw the ball deep to? My jump ball guy. My jump ball guy is Gesicki. Josh Rosen. Um, who's my safety blanket? The big guy over the middle of the field, right? 
So um, it, it really has been the last few weeks. I've been looking at Gasicki, looking at Gasicki and starting to take him because um, it's real late. You know, like one of the last rounds after you get, like I said, you get a guy who sets you a floor and then you take the upside of Gasicki. Um, I really like that combination of those two. Um, another one, just to throw it in, is Ian Thomas from Carolina because um, if you can get a guy like Vance and then you get a guy like Gasicki and Ian Thomas – that's that's what you got to do. So um, I think those two are right next to each other. I mean, I wouldn't knock you for one over the other. I think I guess because Greg Olson is there, you would take Gasicki over Ian Thomas. Um, and yeah, that's what I've been kind of leaning towards is Gasicki over Ian Thomas. Um, really deep is your second tight end. Um, it's a really smart idea, I think, because like I said, you look at this offense. Albert Wilson's um, the best one to invest in as the pass catchers. Drake's going to catch some passes, but as far as down the field passing consistently. Um, there's a chance it's Kasicki, and he's not going to get asked to block at all. Um, that was the big issue last year was that um, Dowell Loggins, who we talked about in the New York Jets, and we don't like him because he tried to turn Kasicki into a blocker. Like, that's a stupid idea. So um, I think that the Patriots coaches are going to look at him and say, you're not Gronk, you're Hernandez. We're going to use you like Hernandez. And um, that's where you could start to get some stats. So um, it is really, really deep. Like, don't go um, – reaching for Gasicki or anything. But like I said, as your second tight end, um, him and Ian Thomas are perfect options. Parks in, um, like we talked about with the Cardinals, the problem there with Reson is he was running for his life a lot. We can move on to the offensive line. Juwan James on his way out. Ted Larson and Josh Sitton are also on their way out. They do return Laramie Tunsil, Dan Kilgore. Um, they bring in Chris Reed and Michael Dunn and Jordan Mills. They ended up taking Michael Dieter from Wisconsin at 78 and Isaiah Prince at 202 parks. This looks like a mess. How do you feel about the offensive line? <laughs> it's, it's such a mess. Um, there's one name on that roster. There's absolutely a name. Laramie Tunsil is good. I think it's, you know, finally um, he's starting to go from the guy that we joke about because of his draft day issues <laughs> Um, he's good now. Like, you know, he finally is starting to shed that and just become a good, a known NFL player. Okay, you have a good starting left tackle. That's a great building block. Um, it's one. You, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the end of the story. Because um, yeah, I mean, like, if you have Rosen and you have Tunsil and it works, then you have like a lot of room to build. But <laughs> it's not on the roster this year. Um, that's absolutely for sure. You go to the center. That's probably the next most valuable position besides the uh, left tackle. And it's Daniel Kilgore. Um, and I think you have a lot of stats behind it that um, when Daniel Kilgore went out for the season, I think it was like week four against the Patriots. Um, they went from like a 3-0, 4-0 team to um, we're never going to win on the road again because uh, they just didn't really have any depth or any backup there. But it's not even like Kilgore was all that great. Um, he was obviously a lot better than what they had uh, last season before the injury. But um, – what I always noted with Kilgore was he was fine for the 49ers and then Kyle Shanahan gets in there and um, both spots, Kyle Shanahan went to Atlanta and got Alex Mack and put him right in because he was his type of center, um, a very athletic center who can move out in space. Um, that was Shanahan's first move in Atlanta and it was the most underrated move that set them to the Super Bowl. And then in San Francisco, he um, first thing he does is gets rid of Kilgore and gets an athletic center in Weston Richburg. Um, I think Richburg got hurt last year too, so it didn't necessarily work out. But nonetheless, you don't have an athletic center, and you don't have an athletic center who has um, a serious injury last season, and that's your starting center. So um, that's where the, you know that's not great either. Um, Jesse Davis, I think he started um, most of the games for them last season at guard, but um, he was not necessarily very good, and he's coming back and is probably going to have to start at guard. Because like you said, I, I think um, undrafted free agent Michael Dieter, and I think some of the minicamp reports were agreeing with my assessment that um, this guy is going to start um, probably week one straight out of Wisconsin. Um, he's going to start because he's extremely technically sound and he's ready to plug and play. Um, I just think if you look up his combine stats, he had like his, his bench press was one of the lowest bench presses um, because I, I think I wrote about him for the Bears and I said that um, – He's just a player that you have to give him a year or two to put on a ton of weight in the weight room because he can play. Yes, he's in a you know Wisconsin road grader, but he's not strong enough to do that. Um, so he's he's one of those players, and I think it's going to take him time. But like I said, he's technically sound on a team where they don't have options, um, and he's going to get thrown in and start. So um, that's where all of a sudden you know Kilgore is unathletic and injured. Um, Jesse Davis is way below average, and then you have a rookie UDFA. 
that's your interior offensive line. And then at right tackle, Jordan Mills um, started three years, the last three years from the Bills. Um, if you go listen to our Bills podcast, the Bills basically said, enough is enough with this below average offensive line. We're going to retool this whole thing. And we think they potentially upgraded at right tackle. Um, so, you know, what does that say about Miami going from uh, Juwan James to Jordan Mills? Potentially a downgrade. So they had a really bad offensive line. And now they have, um, you know, a, a just average free agent from Buffalo. Um, just absolutely nothing on the interior. And Laramie Tunsil is a stud, but that's really all you got. I mean, Zach Stirrup might start um, at tackle as well. Uh, Isaiah Prince is a rookie. I mean, it's going to take him a lot of time. Uh, you just look at this thing and it's like, this might be worse than Arizona. At least he has Laramie Tunsil. But um, this is a really bad offensive line. And this is where, um, like I said about Kenyon Drake, if you're betting on Kenyon Drake in fantasy – it's not going to be a lot of rushing. It's going to be, you know, maybe he'll spring one every once in a while, but it's going to be they're losing and Rosen is checking the football down to him because uh, the offensive line will definitely help them with the losing stuff. So, uh, yeah. Parks, we can move on to the defense here. Starting with the defensive line, um, Cam Wake and Robert Quinn are out. Um, looking at some of these tackles here, Parks, uh, they ended up taking Christian Wilkins at 13 overall. Uh, they bring in Adolphus Washington on a one-year deal. They have Akeem Spence still. They have Vincent Taylor, um, a couple other guys, rotational pieces here, Parks. Um, how do you feel about Let's start with the interior, and then we'll get out to the DNs and the edge guys. Hey, um, at least Christian Wilkins was uh, a really smart pick because – what we said about Christian Wilkins was um, maybe his upside isn't, you know, Aaron Donald or it's not the best defensive tackle in the NFL. But what you get with him on top of being just like a sound defensive tackle in the NFL, just like a really solid defensive tackle, who I compared actually to um, Malcolm Brown of the New England Patriots who went to the Saints this season. But, um, you know, obviously who coached Malcolm Brown on the Patriots was the entire staff of uh, – you know, the Miami Dolphins now, Flores and all those guys. So I think that they could use him similarly to Malcolm Brown. But, I mean, oh, Malcolm Brown's not a big name. How's he going to go 13th overall? Um, he brings the culture. He brings the um, really everything in terms of um, he's going to be a leader of this roster. Um, just everything that you kind of read and see about him and the way that um, he's presented himself in mini camps and OTAs so far. Uh, like we said, this is a team that's not trying to win next season. They're trying to win um, – you know, the long game and Christian Wilkins is a player who you draft when you're trying to win the long game. So I thought that was just a, it was a great pick. And it was one that I think um, we even had it in our, you know, mock drafts and, and all that stuff, because it's, it seemed like, you know, the writing was on the walls and it just made sense. And it was just a perfect puzzle piece that you just kind of plop in there. So hopefully they can on the offensive side, have Tunsil and Rosen be their guys. And then you have a guy like Wilkins um, on the interior. So, I mean, hopefully that's what happens, but, um, We'll obviously see about that. Vincent Taylor is a good player in that um, he's kind of just a nose. He's a big body who can kind of hold up. Um, so can Godchow uh, from LSU. So you kind of – Godchow can get upfield a little bit, and he's not nearly as big as Vincent Taylor. But um, he also can uh, leverage himself a little bit better. So those are two depth run stuffers. Um, Akeem Spence is obviously going to get in there and be a rotational player. He's kind of um, he's one of those guys that you know. Um, and I don't I don't know him. He could definitely just go about his business. But um, he's here for one year, and they're going to replace him next season um, by almost all accounts. So he's kind of just in to take up snaps on a tanking roster. Um, same thing with Adolphus Washington. You know, it didn't uh, work out with him. Um, I think he's been in on two different rosters. It's like his third NFL season. So um, for the most part, it's just the fact that we have Christian Wilkins and then between Godchall and Taylor, we have at least a depth piece um, between now and next off season. I'm guessing that they, you know, revamp a lot of this. Um, another one, Jameis uh, Pittman actually was pretty good last season. I definitely want to um, add that. And also Kendrick Norton. Uh, I don't know if you heard he lost his arm. Um, just hey, like two days. Yeah, just yesterday. So, I mean, uh, definitely prayers out to him because he was probably in this group was actually going to get some snaps or was going to have a chance. But, uh, yeah, that's that stinks about that. But uh, it's Christian Wilkins, and they're just going to try and revamp the group um, and hope some depth um, rises to the top. Parks, and looking at uh, bouncing outside of the edge a little bit here, uh, they bring in Tyrone Holmes. They also have – 
they brought in uh, Jaron Elliott, um, Cornelius Carradine, and Charles Harris as well. Parks, how do you feel about those guys on the edge there? And also Nate Orchard, too, that they ended up bringing in on a one-year deal. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not great. And Charles Harris, um, this is definitely a make-or-break season for him. I think it's, what, his third season in the NFL. And the first two um, just really haven't gone the way that he wanted them to. And he's one of these players that, um, especially because I'm still – kind of young into all this, you know, evaluating the NFL and everything. He's kind of a player that um, I've learned a little bit about, especially in terms of edge rushers, um, because I really liked him on video. And then he went to the combine and he um, just really didn't have the burst or the bend that I thought he was going to have based on his video. And I think I relied a little too strongly on the video where I was basically with Charles Harris was um, and at Missouri. He had a really, really strong first step. And he got off of the ball like nobody's business. Um, and the real question was obviously, um, is he timing it or is he that explosive off of the ball? Or, you know, does he just know? And he's just, you know, right there instantly off of the snap. Um, I think you can start to see that he's a player who, because he's he's somewhat well-refined. Um, he's still pretty well-refined and he does have a good first step. And that's really, that's where he gets any of his production whatsoever. That's the only time he can really get on the field because he isn't um, too, too explosive of an athlete. And um, that is where he's kind of being limited a little bit. And then, you know, okay, Robert Quinn was there and, you know, some high end athletes were, you know, just veteran players getting snaps above him. So, um, you know, a first round pick who's being used rotationally and, um, you know, isn't necessarily developing, but also showing that he doesn't have that explosiveness. So this is a year for him because, I mean, there's nobody else, you know, I mean, we're going to get into some of these guys, but none of them are really worth talking about, except for if Charles Harris could take a step forward, then they would have, you know, they would probably be looking into extending him potentially or looking into what he could be because they're going to give him snap after snap after snap after snap and just say, go get him. Show us literally everything you have this year, because otherwise you're not getting an extension from us. Um, you know, it's his third year heading into the fifth and they or uh, fourth, they extended or uh, declined his fifth year option. So it all comes down to Charles Harris. Um, some players um, that have been late bloomers in the NFL that I just noted um, similarly to Charles Harris are Brandon Graham, Derek Morgan, and Melvin Ingram. They had um, the same number of sacks as Harris through two seasons. And obviously they turned into pretty solid NFL pros. Um, but like I said, I think the explosiveness is a serious question for him. And I think another thing that, um, or just another draft lesson, I think that came from this was, uh, you know, judge the player, not the helmet where uh, I feel like there was like a point where um, everybody was just saying, oh, Missouri and all these pass rushers, Missouri and all these pass rushers. Um, and it started really with Sheldon Richardson, who was a pretty good pass rusher. And then you start to get into it. And it's like, it's Shane Ray and Coney Ely and, uh, you know, Charles Harris and, you know, uh, Marcus Golden and all these guys who like three or four years ago when Charles Harris was coming out, it was like, Oh, Shane Ray was a first round pick. And, uh, you know, Coney Ely just had a big Super Bowl for the Panthers. And, um, you know, uh, Marcus Golden just had a big season. And like two, two or three years ago, by you're like, these are all just average pass rushers. And just a couple years ago, I mean, you can remember, and if you're a hardcore football fan, you'll remember that uh, Missouri pass rushers, they're so good. That was like a thing for a while. And um, just like USC receivers, they, they're, they're no good until Juju Smith-Schuster comes in. You know, so it's just one of those situations that um, – I feel like Harris got a little bit hyped up, one due to his helmet, two due to the fact that, like I said, I loved his first step and his uh, technical ability. It's just you understand now that his upside is probably limited because um, you start to look into some of the combine numbers and you know what exactly they mean and what their values are and everything like that. That's Charles Harris is a great player who had great college tape but didn't have the athleticism to see it transfer. Um, obviously, he's still entering his third season, so haven't given up necessarily yet but like you said you start to look into some of these other edge guys and i mean <laughs> do, like do any of them actually even matter you know j ron elliott um actually is a solid depth guy but um similarly to akeem spence you know i think he's just here for one year and you know if they want to bring him back as some depth they can but i think they're just looking for like i said they're just trying to fill snaps you know this is like um you know a tanking baseball team you know you trade off all your pitchers in july and you just need innings you know i just need innings in august J. Ron Elliott can give me snaps in week 12. That's what I need. Like, that's what they're looking for um, with some of these guys looking for innings, basically. Um, and that's where, like I said, Charles Harris is just going to get completely overwhelmed with snaps because why the hell not? Um, like you said, Nate Orchard, um, a guy like him potentially could step in. Tank Carradine, I mean, I, I, <laughs> there's just not much here. There's just not much at all. Um, and you're just wondering how they're going to deploy them. Like I said, they're just looking for players 
that can just get on the field for them next year. And then next season, um, they hope that they have enough assets and they hope that they're picking high enough. And they also know that next season might be from, um, you know, three or four wins, maybe five wins to six, seven wins, maybe eight wins. You know, they're taking this thing slow. Um, and at least they have Christian Wilkins and at least they have Laramie Tunsil because it all starts in the trenches. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're taking this thing slow and they're going to have to build those up. Literally every other player besides those two, um, you know, isn't long for this roster potentially. Parks, I'm looking at the linebackers. Um, they ended up, they bring in Terrell Hanks. Um, they also re- extended Mike Hall there, Parks. They still have Jerome Baker and Raekwon McMillan and also your favorite Mike linebacker in the NFL and um, Trey Watson as well. Um, they ended up drafting Andrew Van Ginkle at uh, 151, Parks. How do you feel about this group? I will say, I think I made a proclamation that Kiko Alonso would get cut. Um, I didn't think Adam Gase was going to get fired. So that would be the, uh, the, you know, caveat to that is I didn't think he was going to get fired. So um, this is probably another situation where, like I said, they're just looking for snaps. Um, Kiko, in my opinion, um, is a player who gets completely overvalued because he gets tackle stats. I just don't think tackle stats give you any value because, um, he's tackling guys like 10 yards down the field or he's tackling guys because uh, they're targeting the hell out of him because he really struggles against running backs in the passing game. Um, Kiko runs hot and cold. He does run. He does make some plays. Um, he can find the ball pretty well, but I just think he's, he's had what, like three knee surgeries. Um, he's, he's a step slow. Like, there's, like, I don't think you can deny that he's a step slow. So, um, and I think that if you look at Miami, like I said, I think Kiko could potentially eat some snaps for them, but in a perfect world, they would love to see Raekwon McMillan next to Jerome Baker. Um, and they both went to Ohio State uh, together, which is kind of interesting to note. But um, it just shows that, um, you know, another one, uh, just trying to, you know, tie pieces together. But Greg Schiano was the defensive line coach um, for Ohio State and then was obviously connected to Bill Belichick. And now you've got the Patriots defensive guys coaching two Ohio State linebackers. Um, but that's, I just think that those are the two. I mean, they, they want those two to step forward. Um, Jerome Baker was um, pretty good last season, mainly due to the fact that he was um, in a position where he should have been. He's a really, uh, he's not even too undersized. He's just, um, he's not a banger between the tackles. He's a fast player um, and he plays fast. And, you know, everybody compared him to Ryan Shazier. And I just thought they were crazy because he um, doesn't have nearly the physical presence of Shazier. And even Shazier with that physical presence, it got him hurt too much. But um, Baker, similar regard to me. I just don't think he played, he, he just doesn't play that physically. He plays fast, but he doesn't play physically. Um, and he can play out in space. And that's good for him because Raekwon McMillan is um, like a downhill tone setter. And he would be the guy um, calling plays, pointing things out. Um, I thought Baker struggled in terms of calling plays. I think Baker's just good in terms of run and chase. Go get that guy. You know, go get him in space. And Baker's fast and can do it. I think if McMillan can hold down the uh, front, he tore his ACL as a rookie and then slowly but surely did start to supplant Kiko Alonso as the uh, top linebacker of the group. And that's where I was just so sure that um, if that same coaching staff came back, they would have moved on and just had a uh, Keek or a uh, Raekwon McMillan and Jerome Baker, but I still think by the end of the season in nickel situations, it'll be the two Ohio state linebackers. And then Kiko potentially, I mean, if they could try and trade him at some point, I think they would try and do that. But um, I also think that they need depth. They need a veteran just on the roster. So um, I think he really helps in that regard. And then you have Mike Hall, like you said, they resigned him because he's a veteran who goes about his business and plays well on special teams. Um, and he could be the Jerome Baker replacement. So um, I think McMillan would step in for Alonzo. And then you have Baker and Hall as the run and chase players. So, you know, not absolutely terrible. Like you said, Terrell Hanks um, and Trey Watson. Um, I thought Watson was really bad at Clemson. Didn't think he um, deserved to get drafted. I don't think he did get drafted. Or if he did, it was the seventh round. And Hanks, um, I thought was a little bit better. But um, I think what what you see from adding um, Hanks and Watson, guys like that, is that um, – you know, they could be depth guys behind McMillan and Baker moving forward. So that's where I keep thinking that um, Alonzo's on the roster, but they would really like those two to take the steps forward. And um, all in all, those are going to be the main three. But like I said, Nickel is like 60% of the time now, so those should be the main two. And then moving forward, you could save $8 million next season, and you could invest that on the offensive line by getting rid of Kiko. So um, they just need McMillan to take a step forward. Um, hopefully he can. 
Parks in. Moving on here to the back end. Actually, some positive notes here. Um, they made Xavier Howard the highest-paid corner in the NFL. Parks they brought in Eric Rowe from the Patriots with that coaching staff, like we talked about. They still have a bunch of nice pieces here. Minka. It'll be interesting to see where they end up playing him. But do you want to talk about the the secondary real quick? We can start with the cornerbacks. Yeah, and I feel like. Like, um, cause we're going to talk about Minka with the cornerbacks and the safeties. So, um, cause it's hard to like their whole defense is going to be based on where Minka plays. And, um, you know, one of the big things that, like I said, schematically for the Patriots from season to season, from Patricia to Flores, um, I think they got a lot more versatile last season. And, um, I, I talked about it extensively on the Patriots podcast that their versatility was really able to screw with Jared Goff and it was able to, um, Screw with McVeigh, who was just consistently like a freaking uh, computer, you know, just spitting out formula, formula, formula. And then, you know, Belichick just like hit the space bar really hard at some point. And, you know, he couldn't, you know, realign back to, you know, spitting out that formula. Um, that's kind of what you want to do with a guy like Minka Fitzpatrick because um, – and they've talked about it. Um, Flores, I think, even mentioned, you know, or said the word linebacker when talking about him. And, you know, that's another one where you get into um, – potentially getting Kiko off the field and getting into more sub package football because Jerome Baker and Minka would be very fast um, over the middle of the field. And um, I say it all the time on every podcast that you need speed over the middle of the field. And that's exactly what Minka does. But the thing about Minka is um, yeah, Flores did say linebacker and he's going to play some linebacker snaps in the box. He played linebacker at Bama or, you know, it was called star or whatever. And they're going to have, you know, a, a name for it too. But uh it's, he's going to play a little linebacker. He's also going to play a little strong. He's going to play some free. He's going to play some outside. He's going to play some slot. So, you know, that's what's so valuable about Minka. And um, what Minka said was really interesting this offseason. Um, it was actually worth noting for me because he said something along the lines of um, he doesn't mind playing all these different positions. But what the issue with Miami last season was – they wouldn't necessarily tell him what position he was playing week in and week out. It was kind of like, you know, on Sunday morning, it's like, all right, you know, you, you got to do this and this. And he's like, man, like I thought I was going to be doing this all week. Um, so yes, it's great to have a versatile player. It's not great to, you know, during the middle of the game say, Hey, I know you didn't practice this all week, but do this. Um, whereas um, now he's saying, um, and like I said, I think it was worthy of Minka to say it, or it was interesting that Minka said it because, what Nick Saban always said about him was he was he just lived in the film room and he never like he was he's like a culture setter like Christian Wilkins who you know just never says anything wrong it's just always you know was Nick Saban I mean like they joked about uh how much Nick Saban just loves Minka Fitzpatrick like way more like you guys know Nick Saban um just loves Minka Fitzpatrick way more than normal um players so I mean a coach's pet going out and saying last year, my coaches were just awful. And, and this year I understand exactly what they want me to do on a week in and week out basis. So it's like, yes, he's going to be a lot as, as versatile, if not more than last season, but it's not necessarily going to be more on his plate because he knows what he's getting into. And he's already said that. So um, the versatility of Minka Fitzpatrick will be um, the staple of the Miami Dolphins defense for like the next five years. So um then you get into, like you said, the cornerbacks because Xavier will typically be playing on the out or he'll, he's going to play on the outside. He's the number one typically will shut, you know, follow guys around, will shut them down. Everything along those regards, it's just who's going to play opposite of him. Um, sometimes it is going to be Minka Fitzpatrick on the outside opposite of him. Um, I would probably put my money on Cordrea Tankersley because I, I just liked him before the draft. I thought he had really – um, really good ability to press and jam at the line of scrimmage with really long arms. So um, I would still bet on him to potentially do that, but definitely realizing that it's his third NFL season and it's not necessarily happening. Um, Tory McTire is another player who he played some slot and some dime last season, and he could potentially step into that role too. And then um, Bryce McCain or Bobby McCain, I'm sorry, is another player who um, he was a cornerback last year, but they're going to, I think they're going to move him to safety but um, as we're going to kind of get into the safeties, this is where it gets interesting because um, that makes you say, you know, well, then is Minka going to play more of that outside cornerback role because he's going to play more linebacker. So I really do feel like the versatility of Minka Fitzpatrick is going to be um, really fascinating because I do think from snap to snap, he could play outside and he could play linebacker. Um, that, that's a nice little chess piece to have. Parks and – um. Kind of looking at wrapping this up, um, do you want to talk about um, just like the team in general and then I'll get into the, the 
team wins. Let's touch on the offense as a recap real quick. And we got to get into the safeties first because uh, it's still like it's interesting with them because, um, like I said, McCain is listed as a free safety now. They still have Rashad Jones and uh, TJ McDonald. Um, and Rashad Jones is one of the best safeties in the NFL. Um, TJ McDonald, I think he was he's more of a strong safety, but because they don't really have a free safety, he was playing some free. So that's where um, Bobby McCain might play more free. Rashad Jones might be the strong. And then um, TJ McDonald, Minka Fitzpatrick, and Eric Rowe, who you talked about, um, all of a sudden those are just like three box players or like they could, you know, just do completely different things with them and be versatile in the back end with them. And that's what the new England Patriots were doing last season. And um, to have a guy like Fitzpatrick makes it all really go round. Um, I do think at some point they're going to try and unload Rashad Jones, um, free up just a ton of cap space by doing it. Um, so I think they just highlight Rashad Jones, get him all the snaps and all the stats in the world this year and then trade him. Because like I said, I think McDonald and McCain could be your safeties moving forward. Rowan Fitzpatrick are chess pieces. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, Howard on the outside, potentially my guy Cordrea on the outside, or you got to go get someone on the outside. And then um, Torrey McTire would probably take the slot or a guy like Jamar Summers. So, I mean, at least on defense, and especially starts because of Christian Wilkins and uh, Minka, there's, there's a real identity or there's a start on defense to what they're trying to build. And it is kind of Patriot, you know, like, um, so that's where you do walk, you know, and you're saying it seems like Miami is um, slowly taking the steps, but they're definitely taking some steps to get there. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, to kind of recap it all, I just I, I'm very firm in the idea that if you're not starting Josh Rosen on week one, um, you're just doing everybody a big disservice. I don't care about how bad the offensive line is. Um, he's got to play with a bad offensive line at some point in his career. So um, I just think you got to put him in a good situation and see him win. Um, and then, yeah, uh, Minka's usage, I think, is just going to be absolutely everything for them. Um, I just don't know who's going to rush off the edge for them. It would be great if Charles Harris could live up to his draft slot. But like I said, I'm not necessarily betting on it. Um, their offensive line is going to be really bad. And then, um, yeah, who's going to be their other cornerbacks? Those are really my big questions heading into the season. Parks, and um, would you touch anything with the win totals? Bavada has over four and a half uh, shaded towards the over there. And Bet Online is looking at five shaded towards the under. So they're looking at that like, great about, yeah, four and a half wins is what um, these books are expecting for them. Yeah, and that's honestly, that's right where I have them too, is about four or five wins. And that's where it goes back to, like I said, the roster is not in place to win. The Miami Dolphins players and coaches have been dealt a bad hand, but they're going to play that hand, you know, and they're going to play it as hard as they can. And they have enough versatility um, within their secondary, and it's going to be interesting to see how they're coached up. And um, I do just think, you know, uh, they just win a couple of these a couple of these games, you know, maybe one or two early in the season when people are sleeping on them, one or two late in the season when people are sleeping on them. And I just think there's enough there to four or five wins is right where I have them. Um, I couldn't say over because uh, honestly five's about as high as I could see it getting, but I really could see them winning five games next season because there's just enough there. But also I could, I would not be shocked whatsoever if they had one win um, or zero wins next season too. So um, lean under, but I really, I just think there's just enough there that five's about the perfect number. And I mean, five's so low that uh, it's it's hard to bet under on that, you know, no matter what the roster is in the NFL. So, um, you know, five will get you, they'll be picking what, like fifth overall if they win five games. So, I mean, how much lower uh, could they get? That's where I wouldn't bet it. Um, but I would see them uh, finishing last in the division. Um, since it's the last team we did in the division, I have the Patriots winning it all, the Bills coming in second, the Jets in third, and then... Um, I think a surprise to not even to Miami Dolphins fans that they would finish in fourth this year. And you can actually, I think some places you actually bet like finish, like the order finish to the division. So, and I think it's going to be pretty much like we said, like Patriots, Bills, Jets, Dolphins, like in that order. So like, if you can find a good line on that. I agree with that. And then, like I said, um, I think Albert Wilson and Gesicki, because they're so cheap in fantasy and it's going to be garbage time. But I mean, Someone's got to get garbage time stats. I would bet on those two. I think Kenyon Drake's price is um, just reasonable in fantasy, so I don't have a take there. Parks, and that does it for the Dolphins and the AFC East. We'll be moving on to the AFC North um, on the next episode, so be sure to check out that one.